You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome back to Lead to Soar, listeners. It's Michelle here flying solo today. Well, not solo because I've got an amazing guest with me, Diana Taylor. And Diana, put it this way, this is a little bit like heaven on a stick for me because Diana is a woman who's at the intersection of business and sport. And you all know that I am a sports nut, particularly my first love being Australian rules football. And Diana is a luminary in that space. So Diana's had 20 years in law, leadership and consulting, and her heart beats very hard for her hometown of Geelong in many different aspects. And for our international listeners, Geelong is one of our major cities outside of the Melbourne CBD here in Victoria. Well, it's a pretty cool place. It's down on the beach. It's a bustling metropolis. So as I said, Diana's a pioneer in Australian rules football, the first female vice president in the AFL or first female vice president of the Geelong Football Club in the Australian Rules Football League, first woman on the VFL Tribunal and is also part of the fabric and the decision-making around the Australian Women's Football League. And she is, well, she's just a trailblazer in so many different ways. And as I said, I'm delighted to talk to Diana today because of all of her experience, which is vast, but also because she's written a terrific book called The Playbook, Crossing the White Line to Succeed in Life, Business and the AFL. So you can imagine my joy in reading that. Welcome to the pod, Diana. Thanks so much, Michelle. And I cannot wait for this conversation. I love hearing the highlights reel from the amazing women that I get to talk to on the Lead to Soar podcast. And at Lead to Soar, we're all about leadership. We're all about women reaching their full potential, which of course, when women reach their full potential, so do their families, so do organisations, and of course, so does society and the economy. So tell us about you reaching your full potential in leadership, law, and the AFL. What's that highlights reel? Thanks, Michelle. I always wanted to be a lawyer, which is where everything sort of started for me. And that thought process was a kernel of thought at age 12 for me. And I'd set myself for that and then ultimately ended up getting into law school at Deakin University. But what I talk about in the playbook a lot is that what is deemed failure is actually a critical part of everybody's journey. And it was a part of my journey that I got to experience very early on because despite getting straight A's and A pluses, I still missed the law school of my first choice, first time round by a single point. And for someone who had positioned themselves in that way, saw themselves in that way as a young person moving into young adulthood, it was devastating. And it was on the mat sort of stuff. By the following year, I picked myself up from the mat. I'd got into the law school of my choice, which was Deakin University down here in Geelong. It was the best thing that I ever did. But I learned early on that failure, and I've learned to embrace that word now, I actually love that word, hardens you, but it provides you with the lessons and the capacity to actually get better if you allow it to. So I started as a lawyer and it was pretty early on that I realised that you need to be good at something. To have value, and we're not talking about the internal value that you have to your family and that you have to your friends, but 
in this world of ours that can be very hard, very brutal, quite transactional, you need to have a value that you bring. And very early on, I realised the power that I had in being a lawyer with the skill sets that sat around that. And I've used that skill set, that power, if you like, to move into football because, of course, it was in the Western Region Football League Tribunal as a a community league in the west of Melbourne as a 23-year-old that I started hearing reportable offence matters in community footy as a lawyer because I had the skill set to be able to assess the facts, hear evidence and then make findings and make a conclusion and, and do so in a professional way. So being a lawyer deliberately, and it was my deliberate choice because I knew that that was where I could add value in football and take me potentially to a place beyond that, that's where I started. And as I moved through a range of law firms, I realised that one of my loves was actually business because as a lawyer starting off, if you're sitting at your desk providing advice, you're usually providing advice to either individuals or to businesses. And my in my world, it's providing advice to business. And I started looking at how business was formed, how people grew businesses when people were taking over other businesses, what were their success factors associated with it. And I got an appetite really early for what business looked like and what I wanted to do. So I moved out of the traditional law firm environment into that senior in-house counsel and general counsel roles. And that was just amazing learning and, again, expanded my skill sets exponentially because you've got a choice when you're in-house counsel. You can be the black-letter lawyer who always says no and therefore no one will come to you, or you can be the person who always finds a solution and is the person who has the back of every staff member in the business that you're working with. And there is just such an, a high level of trust that you can build in those businesses if you take that approach. I then said to myself, I'd really like to see if I can do this on my own. If my brand, if I can stand on my own, pay my own bills by putting my shingle out there, and I did that. I did that, first of all, in a consulting capacity and now in a law firm and consulting capacity, which gives me the flexibility to move across both. And I tell you, there is nothing more satisfying but nothing more terrifying than actually having to hunt for your own work, for your own dollar, then having to deliver, do a great job for a client so they'll come back and that then allows you to deliver. There is such a psychological barrier that sits around that. And at some point, you've just got to leap it and give it a go. But I was smart about it. It meant that I was working damn hard. But I, in the early days, maintained a salary with some other businesses that I was working with, as well as starting up my own business as well. So I had that level of comfort. I was on my own, had that level of comfort to know the mortgage was at least going to be paid as I saw how this was going to go. So ended up being recognised as a Telstra Business Woman of the Year in Victoria, which was amazing, and continued to build my footy career, but also my board-based career running alongside it. And it's given me great exposure to not only the legal profession, the sporting profession across multiple sports, but also what is core to business and what is core to anybody, but particularly women who want to be successful in business. Diana, there is so much to pull apart there. But the first thing I want to say to our listeners is that you might be thinking, "Mm, Diana must be about the same age as Michelle or about the same vintage as Michelle. 
not. Diana is considerably younger than me. So you're not listening to a person who's had decades and decades and decades and decades, if I really am truthful about my own decades, in business. She's not as old as me. So Diana, I don't want to kind of define you by age or anything, but I do want to bust a myth that you might be a person who's perhaps been around for a long, long time because you have not, but you've had a very deliberate and planned approach. So that's number one thread I want to pull on. The second one is, oh my goodness, the business of business, which I just love. And so I do appreciate hearing it from another woman saying, you know, getting into the business of the business. And the third thing is that really interesting decision you made. I'm going to hang out my own shingle, but I'm going to maintain a salary whilst I build my pipeline, etc. So, you know, kind of a, not quite a side hustle, bigger than a side hustle, but a very sensible financial decision. And I think you're right. There is nothing more terrifying, exhilarating, etc., than having to create your work, go out and hunt for your work and then deliver it. But I think, gee whiz, it makes you sharp for all of those different parts of that portfolio, that quite that very big portfolio that you've got. So you, you're able to bring all of those elements to everything that you do. So they're kind of my three very, very high-level observations. But I think the thing that struck me most, and we've had a couple of com- or a few conversations now, thankfully for me, is the playbook, your book, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, listeners. What struck me about it was, I mean, obviously I, I kind of went, okay, so here's a book with a terrific woman leader on it with a football jersey in the background, and it says stuff about business and the AFL, the Australian Football League, and I went, okay, I'm definitely going to read that. But what struck me about it was a number of things, including what business actually is. And there are many of us who are involved in all different parts of society, business, sport, technology, schools, whatever it may be. But the business is the business. And I want to quote you back at you now and really hone in on what we're so much about at Lead to Soar, which is building our business intelligence, business strategic and financial acumen. Here's your quote, and this is about from the chapter called The Business of Business and Football. Every successful commercial business is driven by a fixed attention to profit and making money for its owners. Even not-for-profit businesses, including the AFL and AFL clubs, need to focus on financial sustainability. The business will have a purpose and a plan for what it wants to achieve, and defined goals. So in my language, that means that we as leaders, and of course, leadership manifests itself at every level in every organization. Sure, it looks and sounds and feels a bit different if you're towards the start of your career versus being as senior as you are, Diana, but we can still be leaders. And that means we have to understand the business of our business, and we have to develop the skills required to manage a business and be known as having those skills. And I am still frustrated that 97% of the career advice directed to women does not overtly include the requirement to know the business of your business, have the skills, and be known as having the skills around business intelligence. And when I talk about career advice directed to women, sure, I'm entering coaching, training, courses, programs offered at very, very prestigious organizations, books, literature that is designed for women still focuses so much on 
personal aspects, confidence and things like that, which is not wrong, but it's incomplete. So for you, how did you go about developing and demonstrating your business intelligence? When did you know it was important? Just such great observations and great learnings from those statements for me, Michelle. Thank you. I kind of started to figure this out sitting in my early days in football and also in some of the businesses I was in at an early stage. And there's a lot of commonality between everything that we do as human beings. But the business of business and understanding the financials, I realised it was important very early on And I realised I had a role to play very early on, even though I was the lawyer, which can be quite a siloed function. And that could be marketing, it could be administration, it could be operations. Everything sort of gets siloed unless you're running your own business and then you're doing everything. But I realised that it was important to understand where the money was actually coming from. Where was the money coming from in a 12-month plus timing horizon because one, that's the only way that you actually are solvent and get to continue to do what you're doing. But in understanding where the money is coming from enables you to understand the collective interest that sits around that business. Who are the people who are investing? Who are the people who are purchasing? Who are the people who have an interaction with your business? And why are they doing that? So it's the psychology of the broad stakeholder group that actually sits around the people who are working in the business, I figured out was absolutely fundamental to a business being successful, not only from a financial delivery perspective, but in delivering on what those key stakeholders actually wanted. Because if you don't understand what people want, you can't possibly hope to deliver on anything that is going to touch them and keep them there in the future. I also realised, this is sort of in my late 20s, early 30s, when I was sitting in very big multinational, multi-million dollar businesses, that I wasn't just sitting there as a lawyer anymore. I was thinking about what the sales manager's pressures were on the other side of the table. I was thinking about how the marketing manager put words around what they were trying to sell. So my frame went from what does the law actually say and how do we stay out of trouble to how can I support the functions and the activities of my team because they are my team how can I support those activities by taking a much more commercial frame and lens? Now, nobody told me to do this, Michelle. There was no training that sat around this. But I realised the more that I delved into the commercial and the more I got it right and thought about it and the greater my value to those conversations, people just kept coming back because they knew they were going to get more than that siloed approach from me, which was absolutely fundamental. And then within someone else's business, I was then able to take that level of understanding of stakeholders sitting just outside the business and just on the periphery. I was able to bring that to my own business and the organisations I work with about how you sustain yourself financially. Because the challenge we have is that people may be sitting in a business as an accountant. It's not only the accountant's responsibility to understand where the money's coming in and to bring it in and how to deliver and how to get great value at the other end of it, 
But we've also got a cultural and a moral responsibility to make sure that all of those facets and that the financial component are adequately maintained and, and resourced and we have a move forward because people have mortgages to pay. So I started small, but the longer I was in it and seeing my value, I realised it was a whole lot bigger than this and I didn't need to box myself in as far as the role I was playing within those organisations. What you've just described is we, and when I say we, Susan, myself, Mel, Amal, try to say to women, understand your positional purpose. What do they pay you to do around here? And that positional purpose is how do I help the business move forward? How do I help the business achieve and sustain its strategic and financial goals? And you've got to kind of know what they are and what your role is in it to do that. So I think that's number one. But what I really appreciate about what you've just said, which I think is a real call to action for our listeners, you might be the head of or part of a functional area, but you have to know, as you said, that value, the upstream and downstream impacts that your role has. And this is not about wandering outside your lane, but it's about saying, how do I create value in the organisation? And this is what two of the people that I've always said had to be when in my executive career, my two BFFs, my best friends forever in business were my finance business partner and my people and culture business partner. And I'm really clear, business partner. They are at the table with me. They are helping me shape strategy, helping me deliver on that strategy, helping me understand the headwinds and the tailwinds, but not just from their own domain. Yes, they're going to bring the legal expertise or the finance expertise or the human resources or industrial relations expertise, but they understand my business. And I think that's what you've articulated so well. Yes, we've got our sphere of expertise or our silo of expertise, but our sphere of influence has got to be so much broader than just that. And understanding where the money comes from and goes to, huge part of that. And it's I just find it interesting that you kind of that developed itself in you because it doesn't necessarily, and I include myself in that, it doesn't necessarily develop itself in lots of us. So I wonder who was there subconsciously shaping your view. And, and I've got no doubt that your legal training will have helped that because I actually was listening to a podcast yesterday from a really successful venture capitalist here in Australia. And he just said, well, I wanted to be a research scientist in you know, marine biology, worked out why I wasn't smart enough. So I did something else. But then I decided I better go and get a law degree because I knew that law was going to help me understanding the law, not to practice, was going to serve me for the rest of my life. And he said things like critical thinking, being able to look at the, at stakeholders and game theory and mapping out scenarios and things like that. So I think that legal training clearly helped you. But I've also worked with legal folks who haven't necessarily had that. So how did that happen for you? Or was it just there? I don't know. I'm perplexed because I love I loved to give the, this is what you must do to be like Diana. <laughs> oh, look, it's really interesting question and, and observations. I think that I'm a curious person by nature and I want to build things and actually leave a room having stepped forward and made things better if I can. And that means that people may be in their room for a question or a couple of questions. They're coming to me as the lawyer, but I can take that that 
field of conversation anywhere I want to go, which is actually relevant, where I think it's actually going to assist in the conversation. So redefining the conversation, redefining the boundaries and actually influencing and supporting the people around you because you've got something to say that's of value, so say it. That was the thing I figured and the more I said it, the more value I had and the more people who wanted to have a chat with me, which was fantastic. The other thing I did very early on, so I would have been 34 when I did the Australian Institute of Company Directors course. And for the very first time, that gave me, because of course there were a series of examples and case studies, that gave me access to, and I'd sort of, I'd had it through football, but not at this sophisticated level, a profit and loss sheet, a balance sheet, and a cash flow sheet for a business all at the one time. And I'd had seen those things before, but it just started to come together for me about the power of that information and the how-to, getting a copy of that information for your business if you can, doing a line-by-line review, making sure you know what each of those lines mean and talking to people in your business if you don't. Go and get some tuition from the person sitting in accounts. That allows you to start forensically examining a business, but importantly, there are people that sit around it and there's a story for a business that sits around it and there's a product that sits around it. And those numbers are so layered in basically humanity and where this business is actually going. That's actually really exciting. So that's the stuff I started layering with my own experience to go deeper when I was in these environments. I love that. And you've matched my own enthusiasm for, I do talk to lots and lots of people, women about know the story that the numbers tell. And it is exciting. As someone who didn't avoid the numbers, but I wasn't, you know, super good until I had to be, I've morphed from that side to this side. It just, it can be so exciting. And you're right. And what you bring to all of this is your really sharp emotional intelligence and social intelligence skills, because what I'm hearing from you, very high achievement orientation, which of course is very well, you're well aware, you know how to influence other people. You've got that high achievement orientation. I want to be the best version of myself that I can be. But you've also been able to skillfully use your knowledge and your skills and your experience to win hearts and minds and influence others. And of course, we know that on balance, people do more business. And I'm talking, folks, I'm talking about business even inside, you know, the business you do with your colleagues. This is business, doing business with. People will do more business with other people that they know, respect and trust. And by crikey, they're not, they will trust you when you know what you're talking about. So you've just given a beautiful example of the three elements of leadership for me, business intelligence, emotional intelligence and social intelligence. So, and For you, you talk about defining your value to the organisation and I think you've given some great examples there of know the numbers. If you can't find them, ask someone for them. If you don't know what they're saying, ask someone to help me. I want to be the best version of myself I can be in the organisation. Can you help me understand the P&L, the balance sheet, the cash flow, but what we do about that as well. I think demonstrating that's really important. If I'm at the start of my career, though, so I might be thinking, well, Michelle and Diana, you're very serious and, uh, sorry, serious, senior. Oh, I can be serious, not very often, though, but you're very senior. This is kind of not applicable to me. 
Well, it is. But at the start of her career, what's, I guess, one or two simple actions that she can take to prove no and then prove her value to the business? Two things, I think. Get really good at your one thing. Become an expert in your one thing. And that's going to mean you go to uni, you do a particular course, you may or may not get a job or you go to TAFE or whatever skill you have and maybe it's work experience. But there's a reason why you've been chosen to enter into that business. And it's as you were saying, Michelle, be as good as you can be for yourself but also for that business. And we are so lucky to have the education available now through Google, through YouTube. These things don't cost money. They just take time. So that additional level of investment in yourself, and that also involves talking to people who are more senior than you, acquiring that knowledge. So be as good as you can for the reason that you're there to add value to the business. And if you think you can add more value in other areas, then go and do that. Expand your value while you are there, number one. Number two, work harder than anybody else. Just work harder than anybody else. I was the person who was always first in the office. I was the lawyer who wasn't exiting until seven o'clock every night. I just couldn't be broken. I couldn't be broken and broken down from a work capacity. I was the hardest worker in the room. And no one will say anything to you about it, but it will get noticed and there will be opportunity that will come your way. And my third recommendation to any young person starting out is jump in and do more. Be the person who volunteers to take on that additional project. Be the person who volunteers for the social club. It means you'll get out and you'll meet more of your peers. Be that person. And also, I guess, number four, Bring your very best self from an energy perspective, from a personality perspective, from a human engagement perspective to work every day and do it consistently. Be that person. You will just attract people to you because of the level of energy that you are and the positivity that you are bringing out. doesn't matter what age you are, that will come. The presentation of yourself is also very important every day. Couldn't agree more. Great advice. And part of that also, that other thread you referred to is that continuing professional development. There is so much available. Make time, make a commitment to your continuing professional development. And of course, that's across all of the elements, right? So I think, and you're right, Diana, a lot of this stuff is democratized now. So we have access to so much material that we can self-lead, which of course is another characteristic of a high EQ leader, self-leadership. I'm going to, you know, and that achievement orientation that drive and motivation to be the best version. So there are MOOCs, there is Google, there's YouTube, there's reading, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And of course, there's us, the Lead to Soar podcast, which is learning every single time. Some of the things that you've described in the playbook around being a woman in the environments that you've been in, well, you actually, I'll quote you again, gender does matter in business and decision-making and your gender has been used as a cheap shot to put you in a place in a meeting room full of older white men because you hadn't pulled on a boot. Now, for our non-Australian listeners, pulling on a boot, whatever analogy you want to use, but for Diana and I, in the game that we love, Australian rules football, neither of us have played at the elite level in the Australian Rules Football League, mainly because there wasn't one for women. But 
I always say you don't have to report on a boot to be a good businesswoman or a good person in business in this game. So no matter whether you're in engineering, whether you're in construction, whether you're in technology, I always say to be a great technology leader, you don't need to know how to code. You need to know how to lead. But when the gender card is played, we can do two things. And one of your pieces of advice is a very line to mine. We can wait for the dinosaurs to die out. But if she doesn't want to wait that long, what should she do? How do you manage yourself and those situations when those cards are played? Great question. I think you prepare yourself mentally, you prepare yourself emotionally, you prepare yourself physically. So when you go into a room or a setting, you are the very best version of yourself that you can be. You go into that room knowing that you are very well prepared. You are a subject matter expert in that room for your purpose, your value. The reason why you are at that seat in the first place is because you're a subject matter expert and you've got value and expertise to bring to the table. And when you have an opportunity to find your voice at that moment, and you might only get one moment in that meeting, but you stand and deliver. And you do that in a professional, in a controlled but in a manner with authority. And that means not asking a question at the end of your statement. It means not deferring to the other people in the room. It means not referencing the views of others that are sitting around the table to curry favour in a particular way. You're bringing a level of expertise in that room at that moment, deliver it and stand behind it. Don't expect praise don't expect thanks. I actually think in the worlds that I've lived in, silence is golden. If I hear nothing, I know that I've done a good job and I'm actually really comfortable with that now. So don't expect that. And just be emotionally prepared for the fact that things may be said that are disrespectful or worse emotionally. And it's it's the advice I give in the book, Michelle, you don't react. You just conduct yourself in the way that you want yourself to be perceived. Save the emotion for when you get out of the room with your nearest and dearest. You put on one or two of those performances, you are going to be so proud of yourself. At the end of that, it is going to steal you for the next time that you need to go into that room and deliver again. That would be my best advice. And it is very good advice. So I wish I'd had it certainly a couple of decades or so ago. But, you know, to sum up, I think let's get our minds into gear. We are going into an environment where we may encounter resistance, backlash, whatever it may be. So number one, getting your mind in the right place. Number two, do not get accomplishment amnesia, which is what my amazing friend and co-host and mentor in Lead to Source, Susan Colantuno, says, you are there for a reason. We don't bring people into these rooms for the fun of it. You are there to deliver your expertise. So stand, as Brene Brown says, stand in your worthiness. Don't hustle for it. And I think the third thing is is use that language that resonates. And you're right. Don't seek approval. Lose the disease to please, as one of my other amazing friends, Laura Ryan, who's the um, the global head of business women, says, lose the disease to please. You're there to do, bring your best self. Remember you're there for a reason. Use the language of power, the language of business, and then move on. And of course, no woman is an island, as I've always said, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Let's go to our cheer squad, our personal board of advisors, whoever that soft landing is to say, whoa, 
had a rough one today and talk about it, talk it out with that support crew, that squad that you've got so that they can, number one, nod and say, gee, that must have been rough for you. But also, I think for some of us, we also enjoy saying, hey, this is what you might want to try next time. So do ask for support from your squad when you encounter those situations. But you're right, you will be known as a woman, a formidable woman to be reckoned with. So that's great advice. Thanks, Diana. Talking about squads, People, Networks and Champions is one of the other parts of your book. And you say, which I love, no person, I've put it in brackets, woman, no woman is an island and we achieve nothing alone. A support network of people, some of who may ultimately become your champions, will be an essential part of your success. Here, here. Now, I do have a bit of a an allergic reaction when I hear about mentoring programs because women are mentored to death. They're over-mentored and under-promoted. But when mentoring is done right, strategic mentoring, it can result in us securing a sponsor or a champion using your words. And of course, we know that a champion is the person who's going to put their social and political capital on the line for you in line with your career goals. As Carla Harris says in her TED Talk, they're the person in the room banging on the table on your behalf. Now, I get that, but I'm often asked, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, Diana. Well, that's great, Michelle. How do I go about getting a champion? How do I go about getting a sponsor? How have you secured that sponsorship or that champion to help you achieve your goals, Diana? Terrific statements and observations, Michelle. In my experience, those people are few in number. They have come from circumstances, employers that I've been in or particular football environments, sporting environments that I've been in. And I think that in my view, the opportunity to have a single champion who might carry with you in the facets of your life that you want to operate in over the duration of your professional life, I just don't see that happening for that full duration. So I think it is based around the common interest, the common interest that you and your supporter or your champion have is what I see and that's been my experience. And it doesn't mean that the relationships, they may be lifetime relationships, but for the period that the person is your supporter or your champion, That could be for a more limited period, and that's okay as well. The way in which it has occurred for me, and I've had a couple over the course of my life, has been through a start point at common interest, a development of the relationship on a human level, an appropriate human level, but also a relationship level. It has been me showing deep interest in that person on an integrity basis, but also that person reciprocating as well. There are plenty of people I've found who like to be asked about themselves and their journey, but when it comes to flipping that back to you, you actually know if you've got someone who's going to be genuinely interested in you and then that might move to the form of support. What I've also observed is that that person who's probably in a position of power may need you to be tested, may test you themselves. They might want to see you tested in particular scenarios because if they're going to head out over the trench for you or they're going to be with beside you as you both head out over the trench, they want to know that you are going to be made of the stuff that is worth supporting. 
So often demonstrated value, we go back to that, is absolutely 100%. Yep. Well. Yeah. And I think to consistency, consistency of yourself, consistency of your approach to the relationship. And ultimately, sometimes once that's built with that person, you might need to ask. You actually might need to ask for the support that you need to go for that promotion or to have that opportunity open up because the person might think, well, they're not interested or that's not relevant or I'm not sure about that. But just ask the question at the end of the day if that's what you really want, if you're in that space with that person. Oh, Diana, that's just such a great example of sponsorship and how to to build the relationship because, yes, you can't just walk up and say, excuse me, could you be my champion? Well, I don't know you from a bar of soap. I don't know what your track record of accomplishments are. Why would I put myself or, as you said, go over the trenches on your behalf? I do want to recount a little story in my own experience, and it's relevant to you and I because it's around the AFL. So I had been serving on the board of the Gippsland League for three seasons, and it was part of my strategy because my goal is an, an AFL well, I will be an AFL director one day. And so I'd done that and I'd built relationships with a number of people at AFL Victoria, including Stephen Reaper, who was the then CEO of AFL Victoria. And I was coming to the end of my tenure, which Gippsland knew about. And so I made an appointment with Steve and said, Steve, okay, you've seen me in action. You've seen me establish a women's comp. And he goes, oh yeah, good. He goes, what can I help you with? I said, Steve, I'm ready for my next board. And I said, it's either a VFL or an AFL. And he goes, okay. He said, right. And I said, I'd like you to help me with that. And I said, you've seen what I can do. You've seen me in action, turning up to game, blah, blah, blah. You know, you've seen me in the, in the broader environment. What can you do to help me? He said, leave it with me, Michelle. He goes, I've got some ideas and I'll come back to you. I do not lie. Within two days, he came back and he goes, I've had some conversations. There are two boards, uh, two VFL clubs looking for specifically for someone with your credentials. They are going to call you. They're going to interview you. And I'd want you to choose which one. And I'm, I'm backing you in. He did. And I, that's how I made the connection to Williamstown Football Club, which I was served on for three seasons. And that's a perfect example of what you've just told us. Establish the relationship, your credentials, the fact that you can turn up and add value and that someone can put themselves on the line for you. So I'll always thank Steve Reaper for being that champion for me. But you know what? I thank myself because you must have been sitting on my shoulder, Diana, because I followed your playbook in regard to doing it. So that's how we can go about it. So brilliant. And it doesn't end there. So, you know, I think part of that is declaring what you want and as women, we are told to dial it down a bit, a lot. So find those sponsors, find those champions, find those trusted people in your squad, your board of advisors and say, I'm ready for this now. How can you help me? Because we're not mind readers, right? We need to know what she needs and wants from us so we can make it happen. And people are busy and you will be important to them, but you do need to position those conversations. Absolutely. Well, as I say to people, there's, apart from my beautiful wife, there's not a lot of people that wake up every day and go, gee, I wonder what Michelle Redfern's doing today. I wonder how I could help her today. They just do not. And I'm okay with that. So we need to be in their face. Diet, final, final question for you, which is kind of, it's a big one, but if there was one thing if there was one thing you wanted leaders to do, so this is actually about the people who create and sustain workplaces that work for women. If there was one thing you wanted to see them do more of, 
for women and their workplaces? What would that be right now? What I'd like to see leaders doing is, you and I have spoken about quotas, Michelle, related to that, that there is a critical place in number for women to have those seats at the table. And those seats are not peripheral service support activity seats, they are the leadership seats. So if they're not there now, if women are not there now in those seats in their organisation, how are they actually going to create that space and that pathway and use their influence to put women into positions where they have never been before or where there needs to be more women to follow? So much about our country, so much about our society and our communities is going to open up and change for the better if, as leaders, we are placing women where they need to be. I actually think, Michelle, it is that simple. So do I. So I'm not going to embellish that because you've nailed it perfectly. Diana, I've been really pleased to talk to you today about crossing the white line, as you talk about, and how we can all live a life well lived, achieve our full potential by understanding those highly competitive, complex, yet actually quite simple businesses that we're part of, whether it's in sport or in the business sector. So your commitment to yourself, to the organisations that you work with and serve, as well as the advancement of women, makes me so glad that you've shown up today for us at Leadersaw, but also I'm very, very glad to have you in my orbit and my ecosystem because you are definitely someone who is able to, well, live what you've prescribed in the playbook. So thank you for spending time with me again today. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved our conversation. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.